You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and getting ready for Christmas yourselves. Maybe some of you are decorated. Some of you are maybe know you need to and it's coming, but we're super glad for all of you who pitched in, as Danielle just said in the video. Thank you so much for helping to decorate. Doesn't that place look beautiful? Can we just say thank you to all the people who pitched in? It looks great. Yeah, it's coming together. And uh, anyway, so we are in the book of Luke, and we're using part of the book of Luke to really look at storms in life and how that helps us. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, I don't remember much except for I was asleep, and all of a sudden I was woke by a really loud noise. We were on vacation, and we were in a hotel, and my parents were scooping us up out of the beds, and my sister and I, and taking us, and I was just, you know, you're just, you know, just confused at what's happening, you're dazed, and I just remember my parents helping me down the stairway as there was a fire in the hotel we were in. Turns out it was not a massive fire. It was a small kitchen fire, and they were able to get it under control. But when you're a little kid, I don't remember how old I was. You don't remember the details. I remember, though, partway down the stairs, trying to understand why in the middle of the night we were going and standing outside. And it's, you know, not amazing out there. It's not exactly the warmth and comfort of a bed. And my parents are telling me there could be a fire in the building. We just need to get out and be safe. And then it dawns on my little boy brain, fire in the building means my toys will not make it. And I start to cry profusely, begging my parents to go back in and save my toys. I'm on vacation. We're not like losing a house full of toys. We're losing a small amount of toys. I don't know how many toys I had back then. I don't remember, but I'm sure it was more than I needed. And I was super, super scared that I was going to lose that. Fast forward, you would think I would eventually grow up, but I was In my early 20s, I was in my internship in southern Indiana, and we were at a church camp for middle schoolers in the middle of Indiana. I believe, I could be wrong, but I think it was Hilltop Camp. If any of you have heard of it, uh, it would be east of Bloomington. And uh, I I remember being at this camp, and I remember uh, this word coming into the camp, because again, this was 1998. We didn't have cell phones like we have today. So word came into the camp, there's a massive storm on your way. It's going to produce tornado-like weather. So we took all the kids, all the adults, and we moved them into a metal building, the only building that we deemed probably safe enough that if something happened, I'm literally thinking to myself, we are in a metal cardboard box. If a true tornado comes through here, I don't know what else we would do. But I remember we were in this room and I had just received an acoustic guitar as a Christmas present the Christmas before. So we're talking six months later. And this was going to be how I would win my future wife. I could not lose this guitar. So even though it was already starting to heavy rain, it was already starting to even hail a little bit, I ran outside the metal building into the area where my guitar was. I grabbed my guitar. I ran back through the storm, thinking also, wouldn't it be cool if I could see a tornado? Ran back into the room. And what we did is we put all the kids in the corner, all the most precious all the parents, the most precious and valuable commodity that they own, their children. We put them in the corner. The adults kind of surrounded them so that we could get sucked up first, I guess. I don't know how that's going to help anything, but I guess if objects were to go flying, we would get impaled first. And I put my guitar in front of me and I wrapped my body around it, protecting my guitar as well as some middle school kids. Now, the irony of that is in the storms of life, don't we grasp and hold on to stuff like we think is important, we think is valuable, 
It's really like the major storms where we have to evaluate what is most critical to my life. And that's exactly where this text today is going to take us. Because when the storms of life hit you, whether it's a tornado or a fire or an earthquake or a war or a cancer or some massive disagreement or an unemployment, when something happens and it makes life flip upside down, what you cling to will reveal what you love the most. So let's take a look at the setup for today's text. In last week's text, Jesus said a couple really hard things, and it's critical to understand those two things before we get to today's text. So we see the first one in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. It says this, And Jesus said, The Son of Man, now remember, that's his title for himself, as Jesus, he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, why is this important? This is, I think, the first time in the book of Luke that Jesus tells the disciples he's going to die. Every other moment up to this is just healing and and casting out demons and all these awesome Jesus stuff. And so Jesus is starting to prepare them for the day that is coming, but it doesn't look in their mind like the day they had in mind. You ever had that happen to you? Tragedy occurs, something bad happens, and you think to yourself, this is not how I saw life going. I did not have on my calendar go into the emergency room on Tuesday at, you know, 9 p.m. or whatever it was, right? Nobody plans that in their life. But tragedy happens. Jesus is preparing them, and he's saying, what you think is going to happen is not actually what's going to happen. What what I'm going to do is going to be radical to you. In fact, my life is going to be taken from me. Now, what you need to understand is the disciples have been aligning with Jesus because they believe he's the Messiah. We heard about that last week. He is the anointed one. And when the Messiah comes, we are told that he will set up a kingdom that will reign forever. So Messiah will be king. We will be on his right and on his left. And we will rule and reign with Messiah, with king, whose kingdom will never end. We will be prominent figures in this coming kingdom. And Jesus is trying to get them to flip their world upside down and say, you're holding on to the wrong things and the wrong ideas. And we will see that throughout the gospel of Luke, that Jesus is trying to get the disciples to go, let go of this, let go of this, let go of this. In fact, in the very next verse, he prepares them for that. And he says, then he said to them all, the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Okay, wait a minute. I was a little confused, Jesus, when you said you were going to die. I'm even more confused when you said I'm going to die. I don't understand what you're doing. But what Jesus is trying to get to, there's two key words here, deny and daily. Deny and daily. What Jesus is hoping the disciples and then us that we will get in following him is that if we want to follow him, there's a death that has to come to what I think is most important so that I can live for what really is most important. Of the 12 disciples, okay, so we got 12 disciples, 12 apostles, I should say. There's many disciples, 12 apostles. One of them kills himself. His name is Judas. That leaves 11, and then the the, uh, disciples and the apostles in the New Testament replace Judas with a guy named Matthias. And then God adds Paul to the list. However you want to flesh that out. Of them, all of them were killed for following Jesus, except for one, and that would be John. John, who wrote the book of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was boiled in in a pot of oil, and he didn't die, and so they, they banished him to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book Revelation. 
So I say all that because all of these men had to take up their cross and literally it led to death. But the greatest death that they would die would not be in just the being crucified upside down or being stabbed with a sword or being beheaded, which are some of the ways that these men died. The greatest death that they would die would be the death every day to their pride and their selfishness and their unforgiveness and their desire for control and anger because that was the harder battle, the spiritual battle that they were raging, that was raging inside them on a daily basis. And Jesus is calling them to let go of their guitars, let go of their toys, let go of what they deem to be most important so they could cling to something that is actually more important, and that's him. Now, the reason I say all that is that's the foundation. He's telling them, I'm gonna die, you need to die. I'm gonna die, you need to die. And then the next thing happens. And what is the next thing? Well, in verse 27, he prepares them. Truly, I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So what is about to occur, we're gonna get into that. I need to set up real quick. Nobody knows for sure what Jesus means right here. Some people hypothesize the story we're about to read is what Jesus was referring to. Some people hypothesize that he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. And some people think it has to do with something else related, maybe 70 AD or something else. Nobody knows for certain. But here is my theory. Here's what's really fun. So I reached out to my friend uh, who's a Bible college professor. He has the word doctor in front of his name, uh, which makes him really, really smart. And he and I went to Bible college together, which is hilarious because we used to get in a lot of trouble together. But he's way smarter than me and he knows like the Greek language really, really well. And I will call him or text him all the time. Be like, hey, I'm stuck on this passage. I don't know what to do with this. And he will tell me every time, yeah, Matt, I'm, I'm an expert in the book of Mark. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I'd be like, you are a New Testament professor. You're supposed to have all the answers. So here's what I tell you. He doesn't know either. I called him about this text and he said, I don't no, but what I do know, what I do know, is Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for death. And that he's about to show them real life. And that that reality of what they're about to see, what they're about to experience, is supposed to be so powerful in their mind that it would revolutionize the way they look at today. So with that, verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said all of this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Something dawned on me this week, and it was funny as I was out of town with my kids on Thanksgiving, and, and also, as I said last week, my mother-in-law was in the hospital, so I, I had extra sun time over the last week, and uh, I was just talking to the boys while I was making clean the house. I was distracting them from thinking about cleaning, and uh, I was talking to them about my sermon prep for the sermon, and I said, you know, something dawned on me in the sermon I've never seen before, and they said, what that? What's that? I said, in this thing we call a transfiguration, Jesus was praying before he was transfigured, and my middle son, who reads his Bible a lot, he goes, you never saw that? And I'm like, shut up, you're 13. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's not that I never read it, but here's the thing I have found. I'm 47. When I read my Bible, I always pick up something that the last time and the time before that and the time before that, I didn't pick up, which is why we keep reading these stories over and over and over again, as the Holy Spirit wants to draw something else out for us. The Holy Spirit wants to point something out for us. And it was critical to me 
Because I had always tried to figure out, there's three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that tell us this story. What's interesting is Matthew tells us that as they are coming down the mountain later, at the end of what just happened, Jesus tells these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, don't even talk about what you just saw. There will come a time after I'm betrayed and after I'm crucified and after I've come back, it'll be time to talk about it. Don't talk about it yet. So these three guys had like inside secret trading that they couldn't share with anybody. And I'd always tried to figure out how it happened. They're up on the mountain. Are they just like sitting there eating a, you know, a Lunchable or something? They're sitting, they got some leftover fish and bread from the feeding of 5,000, whatever's going on. And they're just like sitting there chatting all of a sudden, and Jesus changes like what? What exactly is happening? And then it dawned on me, for some reason, this week, Jesus was praying. He was just praying. And while he was praying, suddenly, the veil of flesh that's holding back the glory of the Lord inside was stripped away. And what is that like? I don't know, but I bet it's awesome. You ever see a lightning flash when you're watching a storm and you see the brightness and the beauty of it and for a moment you're like, oh. exactly. It's that bright. It's so bright your eye couldn't stare at it. Your eye couldn't contain it. It's so beautiful. And they don't even have a word. Uh, it's like a light. It's like a bright light. It's like a white bright light. It's like a light bright. <laughs> and, then, and then somebody maybe goes, oh, it's like lightning. That's it. That's the word. It was like that. I wonder if like Peter, James, and John are just like shielding themselves from what they're seeing. And this is really important to understand everything else that you need to get for today. Because Jesus is bringing Peter, James, and John into the presence of who he really is. All along, they've been following what they think is maybe another prophet, but he's different, right? He's like Elijah, the stories we've heard about him, but he's different. He's like Moses and the stories we've heard about him, but he's different. Like we know there's something. Peter just said, you are God's Messiah. In Matthew's version, he said, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus just commended him. Peter, you didn't even get this one on your own. God gave this one to you. Like, I know there's something different about you. I don't know what it is. If you read John, the book of John, in chapter six, where they had the feeding of the 5,000, at the end of John chapter six, what Jesus is saying is so hard. It says in verse 66, many of his disciples left him. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, are you gonna go too? And Peter goes, where am I gonna go? And find the words of life. Like, I don't know where else to go. Like, I don't understand what you're saying. It's weird, it's hard. I don't know how to accept it, but I see something in you. And now Jesus is going, Peter, you're onto something. But what you're about to see is going to show you that it is significantly bigger, significantly more powerful, significantly, significantly more awesome than your brain can even begin to let in. Like you do not realize the power contained in this itty bitty living space. But here's the other thing I want you to notice again, because Jesus was praying, it is abundantly obvious that prayer and breakthrough go hand in hand. It's while he was praying that his entire being was transformed. 
I'll be honest, as I laid in bed next to my very tired wife last night, and I held her hand, and I said, can I pray for us? And as I prayed, I just prayed, I feel like a hypocrite, Father, because I know I'm getting up tomorrow. I know what I'm about to talk about. But when life hit my family, I didn't draw nearer and pray more. I got busy and tried to solve everything on my own. And I don't say that, I don't say that to brag about my own control and manipulation issues. I say that because my flesh gets in the way so easy. And maybe yours does too. And between now and in the end of the year, you are gonna have more busyness, more chaos, more stress in your normal everyday schedule than probably any other time of the year. And a lot of it will be good. Shopping for friends and family, decorating and undecorating, <laughs> fixing broken lights 13,000 times, getting together with families and friends and work parties, trying to get all the pieces together. And it will become so easy to live life out of your flesh and not out of a deep, profound connection to Jesus. You might just miss what he's doing in your world if you don't stay connected through prayer. And prayer is where the breakthrough comes. Prayer is how we move mountains. Prayer is how we find the power that we cannot find right now in everyday life. Notice what happens next. Luke 9.30. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. I find this to be fascinating. There's literally, I'm not joking, we could do an hour on each of these men. We could probably do weeks on each of these men. We don't have time for all of that. I've always wondered, how do we know it's Moses and Elijah? Like, do they have name tag on? <laughs> like, Moses and Elijah. I do wonder if it's what they're talking about or if Jesus calls them by name that they figure it out. Again, there's Peter, James, and John. They don't even talk about this immediately. It takes years. It's not until Jesus resurrects that they talk about it, and all of a sudden they start to talk about it. Maybe they figured it out later. I don't know. I don't know. But Moses and Elijah appear. Jesus is praying. I want you to get this for a minute. Jesus needs the disciples to comfort him. He's looking at his eventual crucifixion, and he's brought his three closest friends with him. And what we're about to find out, what you'll read in the story is Peter, James, and John are so worn out, they fall asleep. They're just tired. Which makes us believe that this is probably at night or in the evening. So probably Jesus has done all his normal healing and teaching and pouring himself out. And it's late into the evening and he grabs his three closest friends and he's looking forward to the future and he's anxious about it. And he says, you guys come with me. And Peter, James, and John, Jesus is just praying as he often does. And the disciples are like, well, he does this all the time, right? It's commonplace for them. That's the part that really jumped out at me. The reason they fell asleep is not because it's high noon and it's like, oh, all right, you know, I'm just going to take a quick nap under the hot sun. Most likely it's late in the evening. They've been pouring themselves out. They've been serving. They're doing all things. And this isn't new to them. Jesus prays a lot. Jesus prays a lot around them. So they just are comfortable in the presence of Jesus to go to sleep, which I don't think is a bad thing. Sometimes the most holy thing you could do is take a nap. You know, imagine starting your day with, hey, hey, father in heaven. And then at the end of the day, you go, amen. And you fall asleep. People tell me they feel guilty because they fall asleep at night. I'm like, why? Because you're comfortable in the presence of your Lord? Like, that's not a bad thing. But there are moments where you need something more than that. And the disciples are here, and Jesus probably needed them to be joining him in prayer. But they didn't. 
And so God comforted his son by sending Moses and Elijah with him to comfort him. Just like in the garden later when he needed these same three disciples, remember it says he takes Peter, James, and John, a stone's throw further, and then he comes back and rebukes him. Can't you just stay awake a little bit longer? Can't you do that? And they couldn't. They were so tired. They're so weary. And it says that Jesus sent angels to minister to him then. See, God will always be sending someone into your presence when you need them most, when the storms of life are hitting, when you're feeling the weight of everything, he will send someone to love you, to comfort you, to serve you, to help you. Quickly, let's talk about Moses and Elijah. Moses is the great leader and prophet who brought the law. In the Old Testament, Moses was called by God to go up on a mountain and meet with God, and a cloud came down and spoke, and Moses received the law. What's interesting is no, everybody was told not to touch the mountain, stay away from the mountain. The mountain is where the presence of God is, and God is holy. If you touch the mountain, you will die. So they weren't allowed to touch the mountain, but Moses was allowed to meet with God on the mountain in the cloud. And when Moses would come down, his face would shine bright, reflecting light. In fact, his face was so bright from being in the presence of God that they covered his face because like, you're going to scare everybody like some Halloween costume you have going on. There's no accident that this is happening, that God sent Moses to talk with Jesus on that mountain. But the other person who's present is Elijah. Elijah was the great prophet who represented all the other prophets. He was considered the greatest of all of them. So when we talk about the prophets, he gets summarized, which is also why they believed Elijah would come before the Messiah. And Jesus told us he did in the spirit of John the Baptist. We've covered all that last year. I believe it was late December or January. You can go back and listen if you want to know more about that. But the reason these two men show up is because they represent all of the law and all of the prophets. So these two men show up and they're just having this great conversation with Jesus and what they're letting us know by those two showing up to have this conversation with him about his soon departure, which means he's going to die, about this conversation they're having, which means they know where it's going and they're comforting him in his pain and suffering and curiosity and anxiety. And I love that. But these two represent, you know what? Up to this moment, these two men have been the greatest, but they're about to be replaced by someone who's even greater. But the other thing that it tells me, and some of you need this nugget going into Christmas this year. See, those who die with faith in Jesus are very much alive right now. He did not conjure up something that looked like Moses, something that looked like Elijah. The real Moses and the real Elijah were alive and were brought to be with Jesus on a mountain, wherever your dead loved ones are, if they had faith in Jesus Christ, they are only dead on this side of heaven. I know this is always hard. This is exactly what Paul's trying to get to in his writings when he encourages us to believe that they have fallen asleep. And you're like, what do you mean they've fallen asleep? I know what sleep looks like, and I know what dead looks like, and it doesn't look the same. But his point is, when we close our eyes in death, it's just a rest for us because we immediately go into the presence of God. Now, how all that works out, I've taught my best understanding as to what that looks like. But what I know is real people 
who have been dead for hundreds of years in the earthly sense, were very much alive and were brought to visit with Jesus. And you can have that comfort this Christmas that your passed away loved ones are also in the presence of Jesus. This is why in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus looks at Mary and Martha when Lazarus has died and has been dead for days. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Then he goes and he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Wherever exactly the world of the dead is. Remember, we just came out of last week. If you were here, if not, you need to go listen. And Jesus said, the gates of Hades or the home or the abode of the dead will not prevail against me and my message. That's what Jesus said, not Matt Nickerson, of Jesus and his message. So he's saying, when I raise from the dead, I will plunder death and take life back. And that's exactly what happened in all of these moments. Notice verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. (laughs) But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he did not know what he was saying. I love the little parenthetical thought because as I often say, I love Peter. This is my spirit twin. If there is a a disciple that is most like me, it's gotta be Peter. He is a speak first, think second kind of guy. Give the guy a bit of a break. He just got woke up from a deep sleep. He saw Jesus shining bright like lightning. Suddenly two men are there he doesn't recognize. Maybe Jesus says, Moses, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he had this deep voice that he said, let my people go. And he just knew, I don't know. Somehow he knew. And there's Elijah. And Peter's caught up in the moment, right? This is awesome. But what's really going on is Peter doesn't want to let go of the moment. Whether it's toys or guitars or people or experiences, life is filled with letting go moments where we have to release something and give it to God and accept what Jesus longs for is me to take up my cross daily and follow him. Which means I've got to let go of whatever was so that I can embrace what is. I've got to die to what was so that I can embrace what is. And the way that we get there is through prayer. Notice that the disciples were falling asleep. And what Jesus really needed them to be doing is joining him in prayer. Because prayer is often needed most when you are most weary. And so what we tend to say is when we're tired, we say, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it later, God. I don't have the energy, the capacity, the strength, the time, whatever it is right now. And it's when you need it the most. It's when you need to drop everything else the most. And it could be a five-minute prayer. It could be a 50-minute prayer, but it's when you need it the most. And it's when we let it go the most. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Yeah, they were. We aren't told that this is the Shekinah glory of God. A word that we see in the Old Testament to describe when God shows up in a cloud-like form. And the word for glory is the word kabod in Hebrew and it literally means weight or heavy. But it sure looks and sounds like it. 
It looks like what happened in, I believe it's First Chronicles chapters 5 through 7, where the temple is dedicated, and the presence of the Lord shows up in a cloud, and it's so heavy, and it's so palpable that everybody stops worshiping because the presence, the weight of God, the glory of God is so filling the room that they don't know what else to do next. It sounds like what's happening on the mountain when the cloud shows up and speaks, and, and there is Moses given the law. It sounds like that. It feels like that. The glory of God, the weight of God, the presence of God has shown up again. Again, Luke 9, 35, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. So the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. If you remember at Jesus' baptism, he goes down into the waters and he came up out of the waters. This is one of the things I've never seen before. Maybe you've seen it and I just missed it. It says, I believe it's in the book of Luke, that while Jesus was praying at his baptism, he received the Holy Spirit. While he was what? Praying. I always knew he got baptized. I always knew he came up out of the water. I always knew the Spirit descended on him like a dove. I missed that he was doing it while he was praying. There are these key moments in the book of Luke that keep coming up while he is praying. It's like Luke doesn't want us to miss this awesome, awesome opportunity to receive God's presence through the power of prayer. And so he keeps connecting these key critical moments to that very thing, that God's presence will show up and feel palpable when we gather into his presence and we open up our mouths and we just say, Father, Daddy, Abba, that's what Jesus prays. I need you. I love you. Help me. I'm hanging on. I'm clinging on to this thing, whatever it is. And it's not necessarily you. It's me. It's me trying to be in control. It's me getting what I want. It's me seeking my pleasure or desire. It's me seeking my life. And you're calling me to give up my life that I might find you because that's the only thing I really need to cling to, the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. The breakthrough that you are looking for comes from your constant connection to God in prayer. So whatever it is that you're hung up on at the moment, wherever it is you're stuck, your power is gonna come from that place. So what I thought we would do is I just want to give you, I know it's not much time. I just want to give you like 30 seconds or a minute to just pray, to just be in the presence of God. And then I asked Chelsea at the end of that 30 seconds or a minute to just sing a song over us. Do not feel obligated to sing the song. Let the song be something that draws you into the presence of Jesus. It's a good time for you to keep praying. Some of you struggle with that. You're like, I can't pray while you're singing. I know. Some of you are ADD like me and you're like, I can't pray unless you're singing. That's why we're giving a minute of silence and then we're singing a song. And the reality is you probably need to go home and do this more and longer. But I just want you to see that prayer is the answer. It's not gonna be my talking. It's not gonna be a singing. So I'm just gonna shut up. Let's just pray. I'll start a prayer. And then I'll give you 30 seconds or a minute or so. Ready? Father, uh, our lives are so busy. It gets really easy to push you to the margins. To try to squeeze you in right before a meal or right before we fall asleep. 
or perhaps only when things completely fall apart and a storm has hit. Lord, for just a moment, we want to come into your presence and receive whatever you have for us. So God, whether it's prayers of intercession because we need something or God, whether it's just prayers of listening to you or God, maybe you're going to prompt some of us with names of other people who need prayed for. I just pray that you would meet us in this place. Hear our prayers and may your presence fall from heaven like a thick cloud. In 
is the very next thing that happens in the book of Luke. The disciples come down the mountain and Jesus says, don't tell anybody. They don't. And they come down the mountain and there's like this hustle and bustle. And it turns out there's this dad who his son has been taken over by a demon, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And the dad is asking the disciples to help them. If you just look at the big picture for a minute, earlier in Luke chapter nine, Jesus gave the disciples power and authority to cast out demons and to heal in Jesus' name. And they did that and they came back and they told these stories of success. But now they are powerless to do anything and they can't help the dad. They can't help the son and they don't understand. And you'd almost picture a scene where the other nine disciples are like, well, you try, well, you try. And I am, it's not working. And the dad begins to beg Jesus to help him. If you could do something, help me. And Jesus says, if, if. And the father's like, I wanna believe. Help me in my unbelief. Don't give up on me because I'm struggling to get your power and your majesty. If I could put words in the Father's mouth, I didn't see what they saw on top of the mountain. So I'm not yet where they are, but I wanna believe, I want to trust, I want to be there. I'm not there yet. And then Jesus rebukes the demon and the boy is healed. And what's fascinating is the disciples then grab Jesus. And it says in Mark chapter nine, verse 28 and 29, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, like, we don't want to ask it everybody else because we already feel stupid. Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer, which he was just doing on the mountain before he was transfigured. I don't believe for one second that Jesus was powerless to do what needed to be done if he hadn't been praying. But see, that's where I don't know how to separate these things. I don't know how to flesh them out. Jesus was God in the flesh, so he was fully powerful to do what he needed to do, but he didn't take that for granted, right? This is what Philippians 2, Paul's trying to get to when he says, he did not consider equality with God as something to attain to, but instead he surrendered himself and he took on flesh and he came among us. 
The whole point is while Jesus was here, he lived the life that we should be living. And so he got the power that he had from living that life, that deep, profound connection that only comes through prayer, ongoing, regular prayer. Not just God, thank you for this food. God, thank you for another day. Amen. Six feet up is better than six feet under. No, this is deep, profound. God, I need you. God, would you move? God, would you serve? God, would you heal? Would you open doors that can't be opened apart from you? Would you give me strength and power and courage to step into it? God, would you help me? God, would you be with me? God, would you let me know that you're there? Would you provide? Would you make a way? Would you give us the dollars we need? Whatever it is, but it's things that can only be moved by prayer. And I just wonder what would change in your life if right now, right now, you would commit to seeking the face of God daily, every day till the end of the year and setting aside 15 minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. And it's just gonna be you in the presence of God praying so that when the storms of life come at you, you have all the power, all the strength that you need for that moment. What I want to do is I want to pray. And then we're going to sing another song that we've just been singing recently. And it's all about the name of Jesus because we know it's ultimately that's where our power comes from. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. And I also want to invite you, if you want to keep singing, sing. If you want to pray, pray. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to stand, stand. You need to get together with a friend or a spouse or somebody and say, pray with me. Pray for each other. Do whatever you need to do, but come into the presence of God and don't rush out of here to get to lunch or a football game or anything else. You have time to be in the presence of God right now. Let's pray. Father, meet us right now in this place. You know, my tendency is to talk too much. You are God in heaven and here am I on earth. So God, let my words be few Meet us in this place. Encourage those who feel discouraged. Embolden those who feel afraid. Hear our prayers for each other and for ourselves. And remind us again there's a God in heaven. In Jesus' name.